Once again, if you are a guest among us, thank you for being here. We are grateful to be together. If you are hoping to hear a sermon from our new preacher, I'm sorry you got the old one. <laughs> we do live stream both of our services. They recorded on our website. The sermons are uploaded onto the podcast, so you can hear Michael's sermon or either of the sermons from the 1030 worship services any Sunday. We invite you to do that. Whether you are with us or you are traveling, you can always tune in to Dauphin Way and be part of worship. Before I begin the sermon this morning, I would like to reread part of the gospel lesson, but from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Eugene Peterson is not a, a, the message is not a translation per se, it's more of a paraphrase. It takes the story and helps us understand it in a different way, a little more plain layman's term. So, so hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us again. Looking for a loophole, the lawyer asked Jesus, and just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on the way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite, a religious man, showed up. He also avoided the injured man. But a Samaritan traveling the road came upon him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him, and he gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Jesus asked the lawyer. Which of these three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, go and do the same. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Oh, we're more awake than that. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen, indeed. My wife and I, we, we are very familiar with Interstate 65. We regularly drive north and south on the road between conference-related events for work and the fact that our five nieces and the majority of our family live in Montgomery, we tend to spend more than just a few weekends each year in our state's capital. In fact, we just pulled back in at nine o'clock last night from Montgomery. You see, the frequency we travel that road has helped us to know very well all the billboards between here and Montgomery. They're like giant mile markers in the sky, indicating how much time we have left until we've arrived at our destination, either at my in-law's house or back home. I don't know the exact percentage breakdown, but if I were to guess, I would say about 75% of them are advertising Alexander Shinara. 10% are for other attorneys. 
10% are for car dealerships, and the remaining 5% of billboards, they rotate between various political candidates and random consumer goods for purchase. I'm not sure how much it costs to advertise on a billboard, but I assume it's not cheap because the advertisement obviously still works because here I am on a Sunday morning talking about billboards. Which is why Brianna and I found it surprising when we saw three billboards in the river region that all displayed a very peculiar advertisement. Most of the time, you can assume that an ad is paid for by the person or the company that is featured on the billboard. The lawyer or the car dealership, they are paying for this advertisement. However, on these three billboards with the peculiar ads, there was no indication as to who was paying for these skyline solicitations. There's no product being sold or service being pitched for purchase. Instead, the ad was just three simple words. Three white words on a black background. Nothing flashy, no bright colors or clever images. It did not protrude from the two-dimensional surface like the Chick-fil-A cows do. It did not have an optical illusion that changes as you drive by. Even still, despite its simplicity, it communicated a profoundly meaningful message. A message that if taken to heart by all those who saw the billboard, it could transform the world. Have you seen these advertisements before? Do you already know the ones I'm talking about? These billboards simply read, just be kind. That's it. Just be kind. No explanation why, no convincing us of how it will help us if we do so, no justification based on religious belief, no one taking credit for their moral superiority, in the middle of a city riddled with advertisements to buy this or call that person, there was a message in the sky that simply read, just be kind. And that's all. Our gospel lesson this morning is a witness to both the simplicity and the transformational potential of this imperative. The call to just be kind. This morning, we heard the lesson of the Good Samaritan. This is a parable of Jesus that is in response to an expert in Jewish legal code. You see, the lawyer, the man who is well-versed in the Torah, came to Jesus looking to try to trap him, to trip him up. Up to this point in the gospel story, Jesus has been interpreting and reinterpreting the law of the Old Testament as was the custom for those who had knowledge of the Jewish sacred text, these were the rules that not only governed religious activity, but also was the basis for civil obedience. And so the lawyer, the religious scholar, came and tried to test Jesus. This was his way to try and discredit the Galilean interloper and to bolster his own social status. He says to him, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think Jesus sniffs out pretty early on that this was more than a simple question. So Jesus replies, well, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And the lawyer quotes back to him the Shema from Deuteronomy, one of the most sacred prayers in text in the Old Testament. It is still prayed by many Jewish people today, every morning and evening. It says, Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. But did you notice the lawyer did not stop there? He didn't just end on the Shema. There is a semicolon in the English translation, which means there is more to come. There is more that has to be done to inherit eternal life. He also quotes Leviticus 19.18, where he says, and also to love our neighbor as ourselves." And Jesus tells him, you got it, buddy. That's it. Just go and do that. But the lawyer had not sprung the final part of the trap. So he says to him, hey, Jesus, we, we want to know what you think. Who is our neighbor? In a way, he's trying to catch him up because there is an ongoing debate in the first century about the definition of a neighbor. There were some who thought neighbors were Jewish people, Israelites, that were ritually clean, that were practicing the customs of their religion, and that were trying to do all they could to be pure. There were others who said any Israelite is a neighbor. Despite their ritual purity or their propensity to follow the rules of the Torah, if they are an Israelite, if they are Jewish, they are our neighbor. And so he asked him, who do you say? Will you weigh in on this debate? Jesus, tell us the answer. And in typical Jesus fashion, when asked a simple question, Jesus does not give a straight answer. He gives a story. He tells this story, this parable of this man who was beaten and left to death by robbers. He's on the side of the road, and then two people who exemplify the perfect type of person you would want to show up in this moment. Two holy men, a priest and a Levite. But they see this man and they say, not today. And they walk by on the other side. It would be as if today a pastor and then the bishop saw someone in need and they both refused to help. And then comes along the most vile and disgusting of people. The third person observes the plight of the man in the ditch and he is persona non gratis. He's a Samaritan. And I bet the crowd listening to this story, when they heard the word Samaritan, they were like the New Orleans Pelicans fans will be when Anthony Davis comes back for his first game next year. They'll litter him with booze. The hatred between the Samaritans and the Israelites is deeper than that between Auburn and Alabama fans. There is bitter disdain for one another. No common ground. So much so that when Israelites were traveling from the southern Judea, Judea part of Israel up to the northern parts around Galilee, they would actually go a longer route just to avoid Samaria. And so our character is left for dead. Neither of the holy men stopped to help him. But Jesus says a Samaritan shows up on the scene and the story takes an unforeseen turn. The very one who these people thought to be the antagonist of the story, the anti-hero, turns out to be anything but that. The Samaritan takes the forgotten man and he cares for his wounds. He transports him on his own donkey. He pays for his lodging, even leaving extra money for his care. And when Jesus finished telling the story, he looks at the lawyer, the religious scholar, and he says, so you tell me, which of these three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? 
And I imagine the man's face is probably all sorts of misshapen and contorted. He's probably blood red, just anger fusing from him. In fact, he's so appalled that Jesus has trapped him now, he won't even say that the Samaritan man was a neighbor. He can't bring himself to say the word. All he can say is, it was the one who treated him kindly. Isn't that amazing? This man is trying to make himself look good by trapping Jesus, and he himself ends up being tongue-tied and frustrated. I mean, he will not even say the word Samaritan. It's too egregious for him to admit that the Samaritan, the enemy, could be considered a neighbor. What I love about this story is that in spite of his hatred for the Samaritan, there is a universal truth that rises above the disdain. The lawyer recognizes that above all else, the essence of what makes this character in the story a neighbor, the distinct quality of neighborliness, was not his Jewishness or lack thereof. It was not the thing that made him righteous according to the rules and regulations of religion. It was not his status in society or his ritual cleanliness. In fact, the story, the person in the story who was least likely to be considered a neighbor in the beginning is the person most qualified to be considered one at the end because his neighborliness depended not on his place in the social hierarchy, but rather on his ability to show kindness to a stranger. Being kind is what made him a neighbor. If answered another way, when Jesus said, what is written in the law, the lawyer could have said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and just be kind to everyone. And just be kind. It doesn't matter if you're part of the same nationality, social circles, if you share the same theological positions or political leanings, or if you have the same taste in fashion. A person who is kind to others is their neighbor. And everyone can be our neighbor because everyone can just be kind. You know, it, it doesn't get much simpler than that. People say we preachers are supposed to take complicated things in the Bible and make them more accessible. We're supposed to take deep truths and make them simple. I it's pretty simple right there in the Bible. Just be kind. So why is it then that such a simple message is so hard to live out? I find myself not being very kind all the time. Why is it that something that can be so transformational and seem so easy is invariably unbelievably difficult? I mean, it must be more complicated than it seems to be in Scripture. We observe unkindnesses all the time, do we not? We are perpetrators of unkindness, are we not? I think it might be perhaps because this simple message is wrapped in scandal, is it not? 
It would have been one thing if the priest showed kindness to the fellow Israelite. We could get on board with that. If the Levite had just been kind to his Jewish brother, that would make sense to us. But the fact that it is a perceived enemy that shows kindness to a stranger who is clearly from a different cultural heritage, well, that makes this kindness significantly more outrageous. I mean, are we really expected to be kind to the people that are different than us? Does Jesus expect for us to be kind to the people on the other side of the political aisle? Are we truly called to be kind to those who practice other religions? I mean, Jesus has never attended the Iron Bowl that I know of. He doesn't know how hard it is to look across that sacred ground at the people wearing the other colors and try to be kind. But therein lies the gospel message. Often the most meaningful realities in the world are message of simplicity wrapped in a bit of scandal. Just be kind to everyone. As we wrap up this morning, most of you know I'm a proud product of the wiregrass. And that's wiregrass, not wiregrass. And as a Dothan native, there are certain things that pop up from time to time that betray my deeply Southern upbringing. The way I say certain words have a distinct wiregrass pronunciation. The phrases I use could only come from a person reared in Southeast Alabama. And my affinity for a distinct few country artists is indicative of the type of music that dominated the radio during the 90s and early 2000s in Dothan. Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, George Strait, they were like sage voices of wisdom during my childhood. But probably the most featured artist in Dothan, and maybe even still today, was Tim McGraw. And sometimes when I'm feeling nostalgic, or if I'm cutting the grass or doing something outdoorsy that reminds me of Dothan, or if I just want to remind myself of childhood and home, I'll go onto Spotify and turn on the Tim McGraw station. And hit after hit, memory after memory, will play through the queue. I like it, I love it, I want some more of it. Where the green grass grows, southern voice. However, the other day I was listening to the station and a song came on he released just a few years ago. What, not from my childhood, a recent release. And it was a song that when it came out I thought, man, that sounds a lot like the gospel. You know the song I'm talking about? Hold the door, say please, say thank you. Don't steal, don't cheat, and don't lie. I know you got mountains to climb, but always stay humble and kind. When the dreams you're dreaming come to you, when the work you put in is realized, let yourself feel the pride, but always stay humble and kind. I think sometimes we make this whole Christianity thing out to be way more complicated than it has to be. Whereas I realize there are a lifetime of things we can learn about God and theology. There are centuries of church history to study and the Bible is a limitless source of conversations. I think though when it comes down to it, Jesus didn't seem to be trying to trick us or the lawyer. He didn't tell him anything complicated or anything he wasn't willing to do himself. He said it's real simple. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got and just be kind to everyone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.